Assalamu alaikum everyone. Welcome back to Isn't Mo Quarantine Though, season two of Isn't Mo Muslim Though. I'm your host, Jan Dadboy. Today we have a really special guest all the way from the Netherlands. His name is Marn Van Elst. Alhamdulillah, Marn is a former bodybuilder and our current nurse anesthesiologist. And combining the knowledge bases from those two, he has started Muslim Fit an Instagram and more importantly, a whole you know business to help people with vitality coaching and really getting their life on track in all aspects. So I'm gonna throw it over to Martin to tell him or to tell you all a little bit more about himself and how the whole pandemic's been affecting everything. Martin? Yeah, assalamu alaikum. Thank you for having me on. Uh, oh, it's a pleasure to uh, talk to Peter, people on the other side of the sea. Um, yeah, my name is Martin, I'm 26 year old. Uh, I live in the most beautiful city in Europe, Rotterdam. Um, yeah, and currently we are going into our fourth week of uh, quarantine. Don't know which, how many weeks you guys are on. I think for us, this is like the second official week. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been building up. Okay, okay. So, well, uh, I can say I'm more experienced than you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you guys are definitely on top of the ball faster than us. Yeah, so, um, yeah, alhamdulillah, um, strange, strange times, um, alhamdulillah, uh, nobody in my family is affected, so um, we still haven't got the emotional baggage that comes with it, but um, yeah, alhamdulillah, how it affected me is, well, I basically do, uh, I, I've, I've, I've left the hospital a while ago, uh, to work on my own business and part-time I also uh, manage a gym so the gym is closed so that opened up a lot of free time for me um, I have been looking because like in most European countries uh, and also America I guess uh, the healthcare system is really overloaded so I have signed in to volunteer to work in the hospital uh, they're just really hard, uh, organizing all the things so they still have to get back to it uh, so at the moment Corona basically uh, freed up a lot of time for me. Um, so on the one side, it's it's kind of helpful because I can fully do the things that I've been postponing and procrastinating. On the other side, it's always difficult because um, I'm a busy person. I like to have a lot of things in my agenda. And now all of a sudden, a lot of responsibilities uh, have fallen away, like for most people. Uh, and requires a level of adaptation to a new lifestyle and of course a little bit of discipline because mm -hmm. uh, normally if you go to an office building or somewhat um, a lot of the external factors uh, around there support productivity and now all of a sudden uh, you're in an environment that doesn't have those external cues so if you're smart you have to proactively uh, change your lifestyle and change your environment um yeah to really help you uh maintain the productivity although it can be harder than uh, normal yeah so you were saying that you know before we get into your uh business you're saying that you signed back up to help with the hospitals so how did you kind of like get that notice was it more just hey i want to help out because i know over here in like chicago we got a uh, like alert on our phone everyone's phone buzzed you know they sent it out through the official system and it was like if you are a healthcare worker we need your help so did they have a similar system for y'all then how was the sign up process well it wasn't that drastic um there was a lot of media coverage for it so even before 
the crisis really hit um, because in it, we the Netherlands is really close to Italy, and Italy and now Spain are really really bad. So yeah. basically, everybody saw it coming. Um, so even before the, the real outbreak started and real lockdown started here, a lot of volunteers uh, already signed in. Uh, we have a few organizations. Um, the longer it takes, the more centralized it gets. But basically, you just sign in into a website. So there was no official um, call for action from the government or something. Um, but there has been, alhamdulillah, really nice to see. There was a tremendous uh, uprising of former uh, retired or just former health workers that uh, signed in to volunteer. But like the same in America, um, all the hospitals are really working very hard to um, yeah, to upgrade their capacity. So more IC units um, and more beds. So the first stage is to organize all those things and somehow kind of organize everything at the, uh, at the hospitals. And even when it's planned out and when everybody is settled, only then you can bring in um, other people who are not trained uh, or have been out of the game for a while. So it's kind of vague still. I've already been assigned to a hospital, but they said it can be either in like four weeks or one week that we uh, call you up to join. So I still have to see how it uh, is going to work. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I think what's really, you know, I would say cool, but like what's really fascinating is how they've kind of just sprung up you know, hospitals, wherever they can. Because a lot of the hospitals are at capacity, so they're using, like, convention centers, um, hotels, and just converting whatever they can into hotel or, like, or into hospitals and hospital rooms. Um, but then at the same time, it's like you need workers to staff all of that. So, inshallah, you know, they're able to get the amount of people that they need help. And, you know, I'll reward you for volunteering again. Yeah, alhamdulillah. What's also really nice is... Uh, um a few mosque boards has uh, have, have offered to because of course most of the mosques are closed now, um, yeah. also by uh, government regulation, and they offered uh, the mosque um, to, if needed, to be like a field hospital for for uh, low care patients. So I find that also a really nice um, gesture, and also, yeah, I think in. in I think it fits in Islam to uh, use our facilities uh, where possible. So, alhamdulillah, it's really nice to see that, that, that a lot of the the countries really come together. Uh, at at no, first, definitely. everybody was joking a little bit, but you now the death toll is rising. Everybody takes it really seriously, and uh, you really see uh, that everybody comes closer together. So that's uh, a beautiful thing. Yeah, alhamdulillah. I want to learn a bit more about how did the Netherlands kind of respond? You know, we all had like that stage where everyone didn't really realize how serious it was, but it does seem like some of the European countries, because of how close it was to them, kind of responded a little bit faster. How did Netherlands, you know, kind of respond in this whole situation? And how was your guys' local Muslim communities within terms of like kind of shutting down? Yeah, well, to be honest... Uh, of course, I'm, I'm, I've worked in healthcare, but I'm not like a, a national health expert. So, But if I compare to other countries, um, the Netherlands was a little bit slow to react. A little bit, um, yeah, we didn't really went in hard. Like, you can kind of compare it with the UK. We were not as bad as the UK because in the beginning, UK was like, okay, 
a few people going to die, but uh, we're going to make it true. Uh, but at the moment, the Netherlands is still not on a full lockdown. We call it an uh, inter- intellect, inte- uh, yeah, intellectual lockdown. Is in the sense yeah. that um, our government basically says to our, um, yeah, to our people to use our consciousness and and, and our own wits. So you saw, especially in the beginning, that that vague uh, description of our lockdown created a lot of confusion and also a lot of people really don't really taking it seriously. So like two weeks ago, you still, still saw a lot of people at beaches in public parks and such. Um, but the government has been a bit more uh, harsh now, a bit uh, more clear language. Uh, and now we see that the, those um, public busy places are getting less. Tomorrow is going to be a really nice day. The weather is going to get uh, 20 degrees and we have a lot, we have had a lot of bad weather. So I'm uh, interested how it's going to work out tomorrow. If we have all the nice weather, if people can stay inside, but um, yeah, compared to other countries like Belgium, France and Spain, they, they reacted uh, a lot quicker um, and their lockdown rules are a little bit harsher. So yeah, we'll see how, uh, how the reaction of the Netherlands is going to uh, pan out in the long run compared to other countries. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, we're experiencing the same thing with, like, the weather getting a little bit better. But once again, because of the vagueness of the rules and how strict they are, you know, right now they say you can go out for a walk. And from everyone, you know, there's either stay inside or go for a walk because you can't really go to a restaurant, you can't go to a shop, you can't hang out in the park. And so the streets are flooded. Like, we'll go for a walk, and everyone is walking in our neighborhood. Um, And so it's like, how much of that is helping? Because, you know, that's really the only thing people are allowed to do, so they go and do that. Yeah, it's it's questionable. Also, we we have, like, the one and a half meter rule. Um, But the more studies uh, are coming out that, like, is the virus airborne or not? So... How contagious, how contagious it is and how it trans, uh, transports, it's still a little bit vague. Also, you hear so many contradicting experts uh, speaking in the media. So it's difficult because the government is always balancing the, the economical uh, yeah, harms of a lockdown mm-hmm. and also, of course, the, the public anxiety and panic uh, with... yeah good governance so it's a really difficult question and uh i'm really really happy that i'm not in the shoes of uh, our <laughs> leaders that have to make those decisions no definitely and speaking of like anxiety and like having to work from home i know you're um most of it you know the instagram that you run and the business you have you guys have been posting some information about that some infographics so can you go a little bit more about, you know, how you started with some fit and what you're trying to achieve with it? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, like I said, um, I've, I was an ex-bodybuilder. So I've done a lot of personal training as a, just as a hobby. Uh, and I have a medical background as a nurse anesthetist. So I've, I converted to Islam in 2011. And basically, my journey to Islam was not really, uh, not a lot of... Muslims were involved. I had one Muslim friend, so a lot of things were just self-study, uh, reading a lot. And I really 
my journey to Islam wasn't um, spiritual. It was really rational. Uh, I was looking for self-development and not only for me, but also how is a perfect society formed. Um, and in my way for looking for the, uh, yeah, the perfect society and a per- perfect personal development, I came across Islam and I was just looking at all the rules, uh, not so much about the spiritual aspect. Uh, so I came to a point that I was so convinced uh, about the rules that uh, rationally it was really strange to believe that this perfect system that is so old that is written in in Mecca and Medina that was were places where there was very little civilization. It was not like it was not in the Persian Empire. It was not in the in the Roman Empire. Uh, and as as our um, uh, tradition tells us, is that the Prophet Sallallahu couldn't read and write. So I came at a point that I just couldn't rationally accept that this perfect system was thought up by one person. So that's yeah. basically how I, beca- how I became Muslim. It was a really rational approach. Alhamdulillah, later in, in, in my journey, I became to appreciate the spiritual aspect a lot. But like a lot of converts who become Muslim without knowing a lot of Muslims, uh, you start off with knowing the perfect p- picture how the perfect Muslim should be. And then when you meet the community, you all of, all of a sudden you realize that Muslims are just like normal people <laughs> and uh, they're not perfect. So at one side I saw, and I, because I have a medical background, I was really interested in health and, and health behavior. And I saw a lot of things in Islam that basically gave our, it gave a framework for optimal spiritual, social, physical, and mental health. But in practice, in real world, I didn't really see it being practiced by our community. And also when I worked in the hospital, I, I have so many patients, like we had to amputate uh, feet or other body parts because of diabetes that wasn't controlled really well, or people with cancer by smoking and, and alcoholism. A lot of diseases in this day and age are lifestyle related. And I was so confused because basically fixing those are really easy just eat less move more stress less it's it, 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 <laughs> the solution is simple but what do we see in 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 the real world is that changing your habits that's not simple that's really complex that this has a lot of aspects to do with your individual actions but also your environment uh, your social relations your spiritual the divine so basically through all those experiences um and because islam gave me so much i was inspired to uh, to set up muslim fit to uh yeah what my my mission is to to build strong and resilient resilient muslims and so when you have that that you say that's your goal that's your business how does that usually work like you just work with like one-on-one clients what's the kind of uh, system there yeah at the moment um I do a lot of one-on-one coaching. Uh, I have ambitions to to uh, yeah, discover other ways of, of uh, delivering my uh, services also because one-on-one coaching is quite expensive because yeah, it's not really scalable. So to make it more accessible, because often the most people with the most problems are the people in the low social economic classes. So basically people yeah. with less money. So... My one-on-one coaching is 
quite expensive, especially for those groups. So I want to explore other ways how I can uh, produce those products on more mass so to make it more accessible, especially to those risk groups. But at the moment, it's uh, mostly one-on-one coaching. And I also work with uh, with some companies. Uh, what I do is employee health and uh, training managers to with the communication and their management skills to uh, improve healthy working environments. Okay, Hamza, I mean, that sounds amazing. And so in terms of healthy working environments, I know one of the things that we've talked multiple times this season already, but it's something that I think a lot of people still need help with is working from home, right? Like, it's such a new kind of environment for many people. And it's like, how do we best keep not just our physical, you know, means going, but how do we keep ourselves going spiritually and like tying that thing together while still being able to achieve everything that we're doing at work? Yeah, great question. Um, I've, I've came across this podcast by listening to the episode with uh, Omar Osman. And mashallah, he, he, he did a lot of things right. And he also mentioned a lot of things that because I've looked in the, my, uh, you, you told about the infographics that I made. Uh, I delved into all the literary reviews, so all the science about um, working from home and the science they call this uh, tel- uh, telework. Um, so basically, Osman really put it down well. So if you haven't listened to his podcast episode, just do it because he has a lot of experience, mashallah, from working from home. But basically what we see in the literature is that um, um, the benefits of working from home are that you have more freedom to plan your day and make time for other responsibilities in your life. So especially for if you have a busy family or you're a caretaker for a family member, it can be very beneficial. Um, the downside is, is that um, work and personal life, uh, those lines can blur. So what you see in uh, in research is that people who work from home tend to uh, work more intense, take less breaks, and le- uh, work longer hours. So th- there's a potential for a higher burnout rates in home workers. There's a, ca- a caveat that most of the research is done by people who chose to work out from home by themselves, and mm-hmm. off, very often they didn't work full-time at home. And so you cannot one-on-one compare uh, studies on um, yeah, volunteer home workers with people who are quarantined at home. So that's a different circumstance. Um, but I think we can still learn from the literature. So because it's also quite logic, um, especially now when people are not adapted yet to this lifestyle and they're not used to it. And also very important, their manager and their company is not used to manage people who are work for, who are working from home. Mm-hmm. It's really important to proactively um, set up rules and expectations with your manager. So you yourself have to de- de- decide, okay, what hours do I go? Am I going to work? So I have I have no commuting time. Uh, so that, that uh, thirty minutes to an hour that I normally drive to work, that's gone. And I'm going to work longer. Or is it my free time? Um, I normally take so many breaks at work. Do I take them? Do I take the same breaks, or uh, do I want to work longer and then stop stop earlier? Those kinds of things you really have to think about because if you don't do that, uh, it's really easy to be sucked into the the slur of continuous communication and all the WhatsApp groups and all the other colleagues who 
have not adapted. So maybe you prefer working at the morning. So you're really productive at morning, but maybe you have a other colleague that likes working at night. And all of a sudden you worked in the morning and at the evening, your colleague starts calling you or sending you emails and messages. So um, making clear uh, guidelines for yourself and communicating those with your manager are really important things if you work from home. Yeah, like I did one of the suggestions that Omar Osman said about having a second phone. I know this isn't an option for many people, but my wife, she had her old iPhone sitting around. And so I just booted it up and I put all my workouts on there and logged in and stuff. And because we're working from home, you know, I'm always on Wi-Fi, so I don't need a SIM card in there. So it worked out really well because at like seven, I think I have it or like six, it's put on do not disturb. And then, it, you know, wakes up at like 8 a.m. So for like nine to five, I have that. I can message in any of the chats. I can look at emails and stuff. Um, you know, this is like if I, anywhere I'm in the house or the apartment, if I'm not even at my work laptop or work computer. But then, you know, after six, it goes into do not disturb and my work computer is shut off. And so I have like pretty good boundaries about like, hey, I'm working now. And once it's over, like I'm not working in the evening and stuff. Um, and I let my manager know that. I was like, hey, you know, just because we're working from home doesn't mean I'm going to be available at 9 p.m., right? Like that's still 9 p.m. Whether we be working in the office or working from home, I'm not going to respond then. So if you message me, like you can message me, you can email me, but I'll respond at 9 a.m. So I think definitely boundaries are very important. And that's like kind of the first step. It's like once you set that initial boundary, separating work from home, um, then you can kind of like, easier in terms of setting other boundaries like making sure to have a structure uh, making sure to take like your lunch or like you know shower change clothes having these small steps to really make sure that your work isn't impacting your home life too much yeah great uh, great uh, example what's also really important is um yeah because normally we go to work we meet our colleagues um we have to walk to the uh, canteen to get our coffee and such. So we see that homeworkers, um, they move less because you don't have to move to your office and such. Uh, and also what we really see and what probably a lot of people already start feeling is the social isolation. Because uh, all of a sudden, even when it, it can be really nice to do some focused work without your colleagues, after a while, you can really start missing those annoying ones, <laughs> because uh, yeah, it's not it's not for nothing that that Islam has so many communal acts of worships. Uh, humans are uh, social beings. Uh, we we really need meaningful connections. Uh, there's been a lot of research. We need really deep connections with people we are really love uh, that really support us that really. Um, that we can really trust, but we also see that even uh, the amount of um, yeah low-level uh, connections and just interactions with a lot of people uh, benefits people's uh, mental health. So I think what's really important to uh, battle the social isolation is, you know, the social isolation doesn't mean um, of a social, social distancing. What we're doing in quarantine doesn't mean social isolation. So it means that you can still call your mother, call your friends. Uh, and also what's really important, and I, it's a good advice for everybody that's a manager, um, it can be really tempting that if you do a Skype call, for example, uh, a Skype meeting, that they keep it really professional. 
much more than you would do if you have an office meeting. Um, just like with a normal meeting, you have always have some small talk, some chit chat, plan in some some room for conversation uh, with your colleagues during a Skype meeting. So just don't jump on, oh, are you fine and get to work. Have some interaction because then you can battle those feelings of social isolation and you know we're in a very difficult time. Um, and in these kinds of situations, it can be really easy for underlying um, mental disorders or mental um, vulnerabilities to play up. Like in a normal situation, uh, you would not find them difficult, but in such a situation, they can play up. And maybe if you even haven't any, any problems with them before. Um, basically, the, the key point, the, the key takeaway is to be proactive. Don't wait until you get lonely to start uh, looking up social interaction. You have to what you want to uh, be beat those feelings because when it slowly builds up, it starts affecting your behavior. And when you actually become really down, depressed, and and lonely, it's it creates a barrier for you to have the energy to work on it. So don't wait until you feel lonely. Uh, don't wait with exercising until you feel that everything is stuck and you have no energy. Um, we really have to proactively. Uh, need to try to adapt to this situation. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things I was talking to my wife about this is I've video called with like my cousins and some of my friends more than I ever have before. It's just like during this time, everyone's craving that social interaction. So whereas before, you know, we would always text and be like, hey, yeah, we'll visit because they live in a different state than us. So we'd visit them every few months. Now we're video calling every other night, right? We're playing games together. Well, we've never done that before just because there isn't that, you know, much more frequent interaction. And so we're very, we're very much craving anything that we can, even if it's over video. Yeah, mashallah. I, I've, I've noticed the same. Uh, I have a sister who lives in London and we rarely call. We basically, uh, it's enough for us to see each other when she's in the, in the country. But uh, also the same story, all of a sudden we have more interaction. So alhamdulillah, it's, it's great to uh, bring up ties that has been, that has yeah, withered a little bit. And also because it's really easy in this situation because our environment is really inviting uh, to proactively look at socialization. So we, we're always told to plan and make good intentions. So I would advise everybody to see when you communicate with somebody, when you talk to somebody, are there any people uh, that you socialize with, with that you have really have a good click in and you get a lot of satisfaction? Um, remember that. And also after the isolation, try to interact with those persons uh, a lot more because it's really easy that when the, when the quarantine goes away, all that extra, uh, very healthy uh, communication with loved ones, with family members, with friends can also wither again when we uh, are distracted, distracted with daily life. Yeah, I think that's really interesting, you know, talking about how the times that it's kind of hard, all of this kind of like springs back up, right? You're talking with everyone again more, but it's after this pandemic, how do we really tackle that issue? Are we going to stay in connection with everyone? Just because, you know, life does come up, you know, work gets busy, 
everyday stuff at home gets busy. And so it's just like, it's harder for people to remember to stay in touch. But Hamza, I think, you know, this is the time for us to see, you know, who we really want to stay in touch with and who we want to build those bonds with. But speaking of family, is most of your family in the Netherlands? How are they coping with everything? Um, Alhamdulillah, we're, we're still we're still doing fine. Um, I had some, me and my sister had some troubles uh, convincing my father to really stay indoors <laughs> <laughs> because he's getting a bit older. Um, he's not sick, but he's also not uh, uh, in the best health you can be. So we really had to convince him, from, like, okay, Dad, if you get this disease, uh, you are in the risk risk groups. Can be it can become really bad. So when my sister had a good talk with him, even after that, he realized, okay, I have to stay at home. So both my parents live uh, alone. Uh, Alhamdulillah, they have dogs and cats, so they have some company. But I think we really need to make sure that uh, they don't feel lonely. So that's a responsibility uh, for me as a Muslim, but also just as a loving family member. Okay. So in general, our our Families are uh, coping really well. Alhamdulillah, nobody has gotten sick yet in our uh, environment or the people we know. So it's really strange because we see the death toll raising every day. Um, and especially in other countries, like because we still have to get our peak. So if you look at Spain, Italy and France, uh, those de- death tolls are really terrifying. So, yeah, um, yeah it's it's. A, Interesting. I uh, yeah. Somehow I'm, I'm because I really love uh, psychology and sociology. I'm in a, in a strange way a little bit uh, excited to see what happens. Not about the health situation, but how this is going to impact the world. Um, and I'm also I don't know if I'm going to uh, be called up by the hospital. But if I have to work in hospital, uh, I think uh, it, it's get an, it will get another level. Because then you're in the trenches, and yeah, I've seen I've, I've seen stories from the UK uh, that there are also some relatively young health healthcare workers that, that died, like people in their thirties and such. So, yeah, we still don't know a lot about this disease, um, and it's become it's really interesting. But um, yeah, I think what's to, really crazy is you know in terms of sociology you're saying like the impacts i think it's going to have on society is already widespread right like we're already changing as a society and when people are like oh we're going to go back to normal i just don't see it going back to the same normal right it's going to fundamentally change the whole world and you'll easily see like pre-corona or post-corona behaviors habits you know business environments and so i think even people going into the workforce are going to college they're going to be like how did my college deal with corona how did they react how did this future company react do i really want to work for them and so it's going to be a really interesting shift within society but i think even more past you know all the psychological and making sure that you're not you're too lonely uh for many people they're at home 24 7 now and for some like me you know i'm in an apartment i don't have any weights really the only option i see right now is kind of going running for physical health so what are some good at-home workouts, you know, for people who don't even have, like, the barbell weights, just, like, body only? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, first, if you look at the literature, because there are a lot of people who are really scared 
uh, that they will lose all their gains, all their muscle, all their strength. Um, alhamdulillah, um, we see that um, improving your physical health takes a lot of work. So uh, growing muscle, um, improving your car- cardiovascular uh, endurance or building your strength takes a lot of work. But maintaining a certain level of uh, already achieved results can be quite easy. We've seen studies, for example, with strength that uh, one set to failure can be enough for really high-level athletes uh, to keep up with their strength uh, several weeks. Uh, We see the same for muscle. And even uh, improving your strength and muscle and, of course, endurance uh, can be done on quite a low volume because um, we live in a society that we want to optimize everything. So yeah. all the all the information you see on the internet is always about the most optimal may, uh, most optimal way uh, to achieve your results. But doing something optimally doesn't mean that if you do it suboptimally that you won't get any progress. So I think we really just have to accept that at this time optimality is just out of the window. <laughs> That's just it's just a fact. And uh, alhamdulillah, you can maybe you can uh, optimally. Uh, look at other uh, possibilities and, and, and good things to do in this time. But just because it's not optimal doesn't mean you cannot maintain your progress uh, or maybe even slightly increase it. So basically, um, although we, for, for example, with strength training, a lot of people like to do heavy weights. Uh, so low rep ranges, um, five to 10 reps. Um, and it's, there's been a bit, there's been, the, the bro science um, uh, optimal rep ranges. But we've done a lot of research and we've seen that if you go to a high enough intensities, and the easiest one to measure is uh, failure, muscular failure, we see that even in rep raising ranges of like 30% of your one rep max, so you're then not maybe 30 or more rep uh, repetitions, you can still get results in strength and in muscle. So it's really good to know because although it's harder and it may not be optimal, if you have no weights, you can still do push-ups, pull-ups, or what a lot of people don't know, you can do like bodyweight rows um, if you do them under your table or something. Um, If you Google Australian rows, you can just, you guys can see the image and you can see how you can do it on your table or such. Um, if you do really high repetition work to failure, uh, we have just science, just fact that you can maintain and can even improve on your uh, muscular strength and uh, uh, muscle size. So the, the downside is that, for example, me, I really don't enjoy working at home, uh, working out at home. I really love uh, lifting weights. I also love cycling. So... Um, people really need to readjust their expectations and leave the optimality out of the door because I've tried to work out at home and I really, really didn't like it. So I could force myself and say, okay, I need to make progress. I can stop for like three months and really burden myself with a lot of disappointment and stress and doing things that I don't like. What I have decided is, okay, I've no, I know by science, it's a fact that if I just train once a week, really intensely, going to failure, 
maybe with higher repetitions, with bodyweight exercises, I can maintain my strength and my muscle. So I've just decided, okay, I'm going to work out once a week, even though normally uh, I really enjoy training. I train like five, six times a week. Uh, I've just put it down to one times a week uh, strength training and alhamdulillah, I can still go outside so I can still ride my road bike so I can do that as often as I want. Um, but just that's the biggest tip. If you don't be so scared that you lose any muscle because if you just train once times a week really intensely, you can keep it and change your expectations. If you notice that it's really stressful, really it's a real burden to keep up your training frequency and, and volume, just tone it down and accept that you, at the moment you're not training optimally because we know that doing things that uh, are not that hard are much easier to keep up with for the long term. So we don't know how this long this lockter, uh, lockdown is going to be. So if you're overburning yourself now, maybe you get the opposite effect that you wanted and you were going to lose all your gains because you stopped working out because the burden was too high. So just readjust. Keep it the keep do the minimal, and if you want to do more, it's always nice. But keep uh, if you yeah if you don't like it, just stick uh, stick with the minimum uh, minimum. No, I think that's amazing advice. I think one of the biggest things that I've been missing out on is, you know, this year I kind of got back into like working out and losing weight. And one thing I always do is going to my apartment gym and getting on the bike. And for me, going on the bike and just being able to watch like a YouTube video and like kind of get lost and just, you know, 30 minutes later, I'm sweating. I've gotten a good workout in and I go back. That works for me. But now that's not an option, you know, I have to go run and stuff. But hey, I can listen to a podcast or something. <laughs> um, so I think one of the things, is, as you said, kind of change your expectations. You may not be hitting the same, you know, levels that you may have before, but you can still do something. So I think that's really important for me to as well, just kind of like reconceptualize. Yeah, and that's, that's one thing that I would want to give people is that we live in a society and in an era that we're being told that uh, our success is in our own hands. And every self-development guru and motivational guru, everybody's talking about mindset and you have to grind, you have to do this, Um if you work hard, you can attain success. And that just isn't true. That's not what the science says. We've seen so many... There's just It's just a simple fact that a successful person comes from a successful environment. And that means that somebody... Because you can work as hard if you, uh, if you, that you want. If you don't get any opportunities, if you don't have the right genetics, don't have the right social support, don't live in a for the in the right country you will not succeed so accepting that means that now in a changed environment you can bring up some self-empathy not self-pity because that's not helpful but self-empathy is just accepting that okay the situation is hard and my environment changed so it makes it harder for me to perform so don't be so harsh on yourself when you see that you cannot keep up the same productivity uh, this the same diet or the same workout regime that you normally do um just do less because that's the biggest thing if you look at research is when do uh self-development programs stop is in a crisis situation so when people try to do so much they cannot handle it and people tend to think like all or nothing so 
or I'm going to follow my program as I want to. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't care anymore. And so if I have one cheat meal, I can cheat the whole day. If I miss one training and can just all of a sudden don't trade for, for a week. So uh, don't be so harsh on yourself and just accept the, the scientific fact that your environment plays a huge role in how you function. So it's not because you are not disciplined, because you're lazy. Uh, of course, you have to be real with yourself and, and um, don't be lazy. But if you know that your environment plays a big role, look at your environment. So don't only look at your mindset. Try to make um, appointments with your friends. Try to make rules with your family or your wife. Okay, I'm going to do this. Can you keep me accountable? Um, put those same external factors in place that you normally have at the office. Try to recreate it at home. So make deadlines for yourself. Over-communicate with your manager uh, what you want to achieve. If you have any difficult difficulty with things, talk about it because your environment can help you. It's not all about mindset. Um, it's your success is social, physical, mental, but also spiritual. So make dua, uh, work on your body, um, work on your mind, but also work on your environment. And the amazing advice from Brother Martin. Jazakla um, Khair, so much for coming on the podcast. I think it's been really enlightening listening to you talk about you know, the different aspects of our health. It's not just physical, but physical, spiritual, mental, really got to tie everything together. Uh, before we head out, you know, can you let the audience know more about, you know, website they should visit, what social media they should be following to see more of your stuff? Yeah, sure. Um, at the moment, um, my we- my new website is almost finished, but it's already online. It's uh, www.muslimfit.com. Uh, you can, I post a lot on LinkedIn, uh, more professionally orientated. So if you look Martin van Elst. Uh, on LinkedIn, you can find my uh, my post, and I also have Facebook and Instagram. Um, there are two Muslim fits. I post in English, and there's also a guy with the same name who does everything in French. So uh, if you see a foreign, if you don't see, as if you see a page that's not in English, that's not me. If you see the English page, <laughs> that's me. Just just it look for look for the white guy. <laughs> <laughs> Inshallah, we'll be sharing your social media whenever we publish this episode you know with a post as well so you can definitely check out our instagram to follow them there um once again brother martin you know it's really awesome having you to the audience for listening as always you can find us at dbholy and at cast salam alaikum and inshallah we'll have another episode for you guys in a few days wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh